0: morning, I asked this question before you and I'm going to have a couple quick questions that are going to go along with this. Could you be saved today if if it was dependent on the measure of your witness? If the amount of witnessing you do And that's how your salvation was dependent on that. Would you be saved today? Would the demonstration of Christ in your life be enough to save you if you saw that? I'm saying, so I'm kind of asking you to look at yourself and and how you live. And then I want you to kind of almost like step and say, now, as I look at that, as I see how that person lives, would that be enough for me to be saved? Would the reflection of Christ in your life be bright enough to illuminate the path for salvation? Would the salt in your life change the flavor of what is being served? See, it is a lifestyle coupled with a language. It cannot be just our demonstration, it has to be us also speaking it. It cannot be just a demonstration without a presentation. And I don't want to sound weird, spooky, spiritual when I say visualization, because I'm not talking about that type of visualization. I'm talking about a visualization of of us displaying Christ in our life. That visual demonstration has to be coupled with a verbalization of who Jesus is in our lives. Now, I will tell you this this morning. Yes, actions speak much louder than words. How we live, how we display Christ in our life is much more important than, than what our words speak. Because usually, if, they're not, if they don't line up and they don't... If they're not coupled together, you know what? All of a sudden, we find out that, that our, our, our words mean are meaningless. Our words are empty. 150,000 people died today and went to hell. Does that matter to you? Does it affect us in any way, shape, or form? Or do we just go home and get on the couch? See, I want you to know this morning the Holy Spirit is plowing the field, and He's he's plowing my field this morning. Has anyone ever came up to you and said, they were amazed by your joy? They were amazed by your peace, by your love? They envied your self-control? They desired what you have? Do people come up to you and go, I want what you have. I don't know what it is, but I've got to have that. I'm stepping on some toes this morning. Probably a smaller crowd next to me. See, here's the thing. Is, as, I look at, as I look at what goes on in our world, I see, I see Mormons. You will not find a, a, a people that have a better moral compass. Jehovah Witnesses. Find a, a group that have, is more dedicated. Muslims. You know they will get on their the, in, in their in their temples. They will actually they get on their knees and they bow before God, before their God, I should say. They bow and, and they're dedicated to what they're doing. They have they're willing to sacrifice their lives. Even the Adventists, the Adventists are there's their conviction is so deep that they will change how they eat. They change how they live. See, as Christians, though, we are loose, listful, lax, and lazy. We have the truth. We have the good news. Our lives, our marriages, our churches should be far above from that which we see from the enemy. But unfortunately, if you were looking at just the display, you would say the enemy really has the truth. With the Holy Spirit, we should have this. There should be, we should, the enemy should not be able to hold a candle to our lives. Our marriages, our churches. They truly believe in these things. Many of them, when they get out of school, the first thing they have to do is they got to get on a bike. they got to go be a witness. See, to us today, though, I love God, but I'm just not fanatical about it. A friend of mine used to talk that way about his marriage. He'd say, I'm married, but I'm I'm not fanatical about it. I love to watch his wife after he'd say that because it just made her cringe. She really understood how much he cared. I want to challenge our Christianity today. Is it enough to, to simply accept Him into your heart? It's that simple little prayer. Is that all we have to do? See, as pastors, that's what we tell people. All you have to do, and it's amazing to me, we say that. I'm guilty of doing it. But nowhere in the Bible is it ever found. Pray this simple prayer and you'll be saved. That's all you have to do. See, the problem today is I'm hitting myself right in the teeth. Paul, the greatest missionary to the Gentiles that they would ever know, he never prayed a prayer like that. Leonard Ravenhill said this, the sinner's prayer has sent more people to hell than all the taverns in America. See, all we see in Scripture really... Is Jesus making disciples. He said in Matthew 28, 19, he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He said go and make disciples. He didn't say go and make just these little casual Christians that we see today. My believing in him, my confessing in him is just the inception. My transformation is the consummation. I'm going to say that again. See, my believing in him, my confessing him, is just the inception point. My transformation is the consummation. That is where I become intertwined with him. Think about this just for a moment. This country, we are blessed. I think that the, the, the worst of the worst of our countries still have it better than most countries. If you make more than ten dollars a day, or let's put it this way, eighty percent of the people in this world live on less than ten dollars a day. Now, is that if that in itself should show that we're going to have a responsibility? We say, "Well, I don't know about that, Greg." Well, in Luke twelve forty-eight, he says, "For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded, and from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked." I want us to know today that we there's going to be an expectation. There is going, we as a, this country, we are going to have a, we have a responsibility to the world. We have a responsibility to our neighbors. We have a responsibility. Romans chapter nine talks about this. Paul was talking about this, and he said this. He says. 9 1. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that myself were being cursed and even cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. Paul is saying this. He says, He was so sorrowful. The word there actually means distressed or vexation. The word anguish means intense emotional pain, personal anguish, consuming grief. These are the things that overtook Paul about those who were lost. Paul has great sorrow and unceasing anguish for the loss of Israel. Well, doesn't that doesn't that kind of go against some of the other things that you know you're telling us now? We we should have this this heart of anguish. Doesn't. Doesn't Paul say this in, in, in Philippians 4.4? 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Yeah, is there, is there a place of balance between having this anguish for the lost and having this joy unspeakable and full of glory? Could it be that this joy unspeakable and full of glory is what everybody in the world is looking for? And that if we would display that, we would be His witnesses. Paul said it, he also says this, he says, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, he says, Pray without ceasing. I believe the balance between our rejoicing and and our anguish over those who are lost is found in the balanced place of prayer. Praying without ceasing. Will we answer the call, his mandate, his commission. This is why I can't spend time on my own agenda, my own preferences, what I like. It must be about him, promoting him, reflecting him. My reputation means nothing in comparison to the surpassing knowledge of knowing him. This is what's so amazing. He didn't... See, many of us think that we came to Christ... Paul, I mean, Jesus said it like this, John 6, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent them will raise them up on that last day. And I will raise them up on that last day. He said, listen, you didn't come to me. I chose you. I, the word there is draw. Draws. And then look at this word here. in the Greek. Draw, pull, persuade, properly, to induce, to draw in. Attraction with a power involved with the Drawing. He's saying that, hey listen, I did this, I accomplished this. This is why I can expect a lot from you. You didn't do it on your own. It's my Holy Spirit that said, come on in. See, many of us say, I came to Christ. In a sense, yeah we did, but only because He said, get over here. Amen. This is why I believe we'll have a great responsibility. He sacrificed himself, then he saves me. What a, what a monumental thing. Now, let me meddle with you just for a minute and get some people ticked, okay? Hang on. <laughs> this relationship with God is not just a list of do's and don'ts. I do because I am commanded to do. I don't because I never want to be a stumbling block. My, life, my rights are laid aside to be an example to all. Let me give you an example. If you saw me parked out in front of Antlers, everybody knows where Antlers is on the freeway. Now, on the highway. now some of you would go, now hey, that's the kind of pastor I want. Now where does he preach at? <laughs> cool pastor, that's where I want to go to church. See, but I tell you this morning that, that people that say, okay, in fact, there's always this debate, can you drink? You know what, listen, I have no problem with anybody going home and having a glass of wine with dinner. Okay, let me, make, let me make it clear to you. I am not going to preach against having a glass of wine at dinner if that's what you want to do. Now, do I choose not to do it? Yes, I do. Why? Because I do not want to be a stumbling block. Okay, if you walked in and you saw me belly up to the bar of antlers, you'd be going, who is this guy? My testimony would be gone. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No, no one should seek their own good but the good of others. Paul thought so much about it that he said it again in Corinthians 6.12. He says, I have the right to do anything you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Does it make me more spiritual? No. Does it make me closer to God? No. But I tell you this, I want to lay aside everything that so easily entangles me. And I want to be a witness. I said it from the beginning. If, if you looked at your life, would it be enough? Would that be enough to, for you to come to Christ? See, that's the example He wants us to set. That's the example that He gives for us. Can I do these other things? Can I even do, let me say this, can I even do spiritually neutral things? Yes, I can. But if it doesn't benefit the kingdom, why am I doing it? See, when you when you really look at it from that price this got, kind of, well, man, I just kind of took the wind out of my sails. I had a real good explanation of why I do these things. Permissible, uh, permissible versus beneficial. Now I'm done meddling. we will back to to church. That we would be driven to our knees for the lost, that we would agonize over our friends, our family, and those that are lost, that we would cry out, that I wouldn't let them ha- have an open road to hell. See, I believe that our bodies, our, us on our knees, should litter the roadway that would block their path just to easily get to hell. Spurgeon said it like this He said, If sinners be damned, and at least At least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. That's what I'm talking about today, guys. I'm talking about us getting into the place... Where we will not just let people freely roam their way to hell. That we will either stand and be a roadblock. My body laid out on the floor crying out to God. It's not enough. God, I cannot let this happen. I can't let just people just breeze their way into hell. Jesus said, why is the gate? Let me tell you this. The default gate is the wide gate. If you choose no gate, you've chose the default gate, the wide gate. Because Matthew seven thirteen he says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only few find it. Luke repeated it, but he said this, he says, make, in Luke 13, 24, he says, make every effort to enter through the narrow gate because many, I tell you, Will try to enter and will not be able to. He says, "When he says there, make every effort." That word actually means to contend as with an adversary. That's how that's how it is to try to get through that gate. You're going to have to battle. It's not going to be a free ride. It's not a float trip down the river. It is. It is going to be a contentious. You're going to have to fight. And contend, like I said from the beginning, I said that this, this sinner's prayer is just that inception point. It says, I believe, I receive, and now the transformation has to follow that. Otherwise, all that I've just said is meaningless. 1 Peter 4.18 says this, And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? See, our calling, our commission, our mission is this, that we would bring people into the kingdom. Psalms 2, eight: ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth, your possession. That's the call to the mission field. Ask of me, pray, ask of me. Begin with just maybe just your neighbor, a family member, begin to pray and cry out for them. Luke ten two 2, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers into his harvest field. See, I want his heart. His heart is for the lost. He will give you that burden if you will ask Him. But it's not, it's not a miring type of thing where you get stuck down and bogged down. It's a, it's a passionate thing. It's a serious thing. It's—it's. It's, we are harvesters. I lived in Idaho as a young man, and I was 14 years old. Actually, I was 13 at the time. And in, in Idaho, potato crop is a very big thing. And every year when the potato harvest happens, everything shuts down. Schools shut down. Why? Because of the harvest. In in Jewish times, in Israel's times, the harvest, everybody was involved. It wasn't just a... Everybody had to be a part of it. Everything shut down because you had to go and get what... You had to go get it while it was ripe and ready. Because if not, it could be spoiled by the rain. It It could be spoiled by time. That's what he's saying to us today. The harvest is ready. I I want you to know today. Some of you guys, well, I thought this. I thought his yoke was easy, his burden was light, Greg. Right? I, I thought everything was just going to be this free flowing. It was going to be. Not, listen, guys, you will have millenniums to live in comfort. You have maybe seventy years. Maybe there's a couple of years that are older than that. But let's say seventy. Some of you are going. You better say more than seventy because I'm already past it. You have up okay, to eighty years. All right. Listen, 80 years. Think about the millennium is a 1,000 is a years. You're going to have millenniums to be in comfort. You're going to have millenniums to, to, to bask in all that God has, has done for us. See, He created this world in seven days, the Bible says. But He said, when Jesus left, He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's spending... Almost 2,000 years getting ready. I'm telling you what, there is a place that is so wonderful, that is so vast. The things that we love about this world, he is going to have it there. It's not going to be hearts and berries and people flying around. It is going to be a a dynamic place that you will want to be a part of. And I will tell you this, we are going to sit back and we're going to go, why did I waste the time? A thousand years will go by like that. In this little time, it's just it's, it's like a speck. Seventy years, the Bible talks about this life being just a vapor, here and gone. It's a mist. Isaiah forty three and six says this. I'm, get, I'm not going to read that whole thing to you, but I want you to know. I want you to see the context of it. But Isaiah forty three and six says this: "I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back." Bring back my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind and who have ears but are deaf. See, this is, that. This is the message for us. You, he has given us the ability to call forth that in our prayer life. He has given us. He says, listen, you can call. You have sons or you have daughters. You have people in your life. You have many family members that don't know Jesus. He says, listen, you call to me. You call out to me. Ask the Lord to draw." See, remember that word I started from the beginning? Remember I told you how it isn't us. It's Him. It's Him drawing. So if I pray, He draws. If I cry out, He draws. He's wanting to draw them in, but what will we do with it? I'm going to read you a story this morning. This is a a little girl named Perpetua. She lived in A.D. uh, 203, which was about 1,800 years ago. Maybe a little bit more than that. We have little idea what brought Perpetua to faith in Christ, or how long she had been a Christian, or how she lived her Christian life. But thanks to her diary and that of another prisoner, we have some idea of her last days, an ordeal that has so impressed the famous Augustine that he preached four sermons about her death. Perpetua was a Christian noblewoman who, at the turn of the second century, lived with her husband, her son, and her slave, Felicitas, in Carthage, in modern Tunis. She was 22 years old. At this time, North Africa was the center of a vibrant Christian community. It was no surprise then, when the emperor... Uh, uh, determined to cripple Christianity. He believed it undermined the Roman patriotism. He focused his attention on North Af- Africa. Among the first to be arrested were five new Christians taking classes to prepare for baptism, one of whom was Perpetua. Her father immediately came to her in prison. He was a pagan, and he saw an easy way for Perpetua to save herself. He entreated her to simply deny that she was a Christian. Father, do you see this vase here? She replied, could it be called by any other name than what it is? No, he replied. Well, then neither can I be called by anything other than I am a Christian. In the next days, Perpetua was moved to a better part of the prison and allowed to breastfeed her child. <laughs> Think about this. This, is what, this, is, this hits me. This is a, this is a young lady. With her hearing approaching, her father visited again, this time pleading more passionately. Have pity on my old gray hair. Have pity on me, your father, if I deserve to be called your father. If, you have, if I have found favor above you and all your brothers. If, if I have raised you to reach this prime of your life. He threw himself down before her and he kissed her hands. And said, Do not abandon me to the reproach of men. Think of your brothers. Think of your mother and think of your aunt. Think of your child who will not be able to live once you are gone. Give up your pride, he says. Perpetua touched him, but remained unshaken. She tried to comfort her father. It was all all happening on the prison docks, as God wills, he said. The next day, her hearing arrived. Perpetua and her friends were marched before the governor. Perpetua was first questioned and each in turn admitted to being Christians and then in turn refused to make sacrifice, which was what was going on at the time, an act of emperor worship. Then the governor turned to, to question Perpetua. At that time, her father, carrying Perpetua's son in his arms, burst into the room. He grabbed Perpetua and pleaded, perform the sacrifice, have pity on your baby. I think the 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 emperor, who wanted to not even see this unpleasant he, he even urged her, Please, have pity on your father. Have pity on your son. Offer the sacrifice for the welfare of the emperor. Perpetua replied, simply, I will not. Are you a Christian then? Asked the governor. Yes, I am. Perpetua replied, her father interrupted again, begging her to sacrifice. Then the soldiers took the man out, and Perpetua and her friends were condemned to die in the arena. Perpetua and her friends... One was a slave, who had subsequently been arrested with her, were dressed in belted tunics. When they entered the stadium, wild beasts and gladiators roamed the arena floor and in the stands. Crowds roared to see blood. They didn't have to wait long. Immediately, a wild heifer charged the group. Perpetua was tossed into the air and onto her back. She sat up, adjusted her ripped tunic, and walked over to help her, her, her servant girl, Felicitas. Then a leopard was loosed. And it wasn't long before the tunics of the the Christians were stained with blood. This was too deliberate for the impatient crowd which began calling for the deaths of the Christians. So Perpetua and her friends and her servant were then lined up and one by one slain by the sword. The blood of martyrs has has stained the road to Christ. I say to myself, how come I haven't heard these stories? Is it because I didn't want to hear them? Is it because it's not what my little delicate ears can handle? It was so important to the to Augustine, who, who was one of the, the great founders of the Christian faith. They preached about it for four, t- four times, yet I hear nothing of it in our gospel today. In fact, it's as if we would rather have a bedtime story that makes us feel good that we can snuggle up to... Make us feel good before we go to bed, so that we feel all right about where we're at. See, I want to get compassionate, passionate about what God's passionate about. The Holy Spirit is digging furrows in my soul today. He's saying, "Listen." Craig, you don't need another program. If people will get a burden for souls, you won't even have to designate mission trips. We have a mission field right outside our door. You can, you can go to the poor if you want to in our city. We have. I, I'm not running a racket club during the week over at Sequoia Dawn. there. Sequoia You know, There's, there's people that, that talk about mission trips and have never come over and help feed the poor over there. And, 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 and what I want us to know is there are opportunities. Pastor Craig, he's, he's always looking. He's, his heart is for missions. He will, if, if there's a heart you have for that, He will direct you in the right area. See, if our churches would get a hold of this, would be they would be filled every week to capacity. If we would begin to just pray for our neighbors, our friends, our family members. This morning, I want you to just think, just for a moment, maybe about eight people that are in and around your life Even right now, I believe that there are those right now, their their faces have came to your mind. People have came to your mind. Names have came to your mind. You know what? what, I need to pray for them. I need to pray for them. If you don't have anybody, look around your neighborhood. There's probably at least five houses around your house that you can say, okay, I'm going to deliberately begin to intentionally begin to pray over these people. I'm going to ask you this morning to do this. Every one of us takes a little bit different way home. And I'm going to ask us every week to take a different route to as we go home and pray, Lord, draw them in. As you go down Globe Drive, draw them in. Draw them into you, Lord. As you go Baltz Park, as you go down 190, wherever it is you go, you have there are people. See, I-, I want us to have the heart that says, you know what God I will litter, my body will litter the ground on my face before God so that these people, if, at least that they're going to have to step over to get to heaven. Because I'll tell you what, there will be those in heaven one day that are going to look you in the eye and they're going to go, thank you. Little grandmas praying for grandsons. Moms praying for their, their daughters. Crying out, saying, Lord, please... He said, millennials we will have with him. This morning as we close, David, would you come up here? What difference can you make? You are not called to be an evangelist. You're not called possibly to go to Africa. Maybe you're not even called to be red-faced and get loud like I do, but you can make a difference by simply praying. You can do something. What difference can you make this morning? As you can cry out to God on behalf of those who are lost. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7 says, says, I planted, this is Paul speaking, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who makes all things grow. Once again, he's saying, listen, just, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to, 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 to preach a message to him. All I'm asking you to do is go, Okay, I'm going to plant this little seed right here. And then Craig comes by, and he puts a little water on it. Some of you would say, well, Greg, you must be the fertilizer because what you do sometimes (laughs) stinks. That's okay. I'm going to ask David Harris to, to pray this morning. I know he's got a heart for the lost. God has been working in that area. And I'm going to ask Him to pray over us this morning as we close. But I ask this question that I asked at the beginning. Um, Could you be saved if your salvation was dependent on your witness in this world? Would it be enough to bring you to Christ? Let me bow our heads. Lord, we just thank You for this day of worship. And we just pray that you come into our hearts and, and uh, find a way to reach out to those that are lost, that don't know their way to you, Lord, and that are fought, trying to find a path back there but just haven't found a way to get there. Uh, let us be a bridge in that direction and we can lead those to, to you, Christ. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to do so and give us the wisdom and knowledge to talk to those in need and to make a difference in their life. We thank You, Lord, for the opportunity. And we look forward to it. And uh, give us insight for when situations may come our way that we can have the right words to say on Your behalf. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand. This is, this, this is the cry of our heart this morning. Pray, I pray. Why'd you pray, I pray? say, I say, what you pray, I pray, God, that we would get burden for those that are lost and cry out and litter the road to hell, Lord, that those that would try to get there would not have an easy road to it, but Lord, that our prayers, the drawing power of the Holy Spirit would bring them in.